0: Probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. Projection. If
1: intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Heidi Bennett of
0: CabinMinuteCast.com, SpinalTapMinute.com, and for my um, coaching for multi-creatives, you can find me at HeidiBennett.com.
1: Awesome. So um, today we are talking about minute 53 of the thing, which begins with um, Mac hearing a gunshot uh, as he's out in the, the wrecked chopper. And then a minute later ends with um, Childs running up behind Mac to, uh, to join the rest of the group as they watch Blair destroy the radio room. So, um, so yeah, the beginning of this minute starts off almost right, right at the exact uh, beginning of the minute with a, a gunshot we've been tracking the gunshots in the movie actually counting them because it was something that, uh, when I first started looking into trivia about the movie, I was really surprised to read that uh, on outpost 31, which is uh, like this major fan site for the movie that uh, somebody had done a count and said there were 52 gunshots in the movie, which seems like a lot for a movie that I don't, I don't really associate this movie with being a a movie with a lot of, you know, gunplay or anything like that. I I, I think about the flamethrowers and the monsters and stuff like that. But uh, so 52 seemed like a very high number, but, Uh, With this minute uh, between the gunshot at the beginning and the gunshot uh, about halfway through the minute, uh, that brings us up to a total of 45. So we're getting pretty close.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah.
1: Uh, Which is interesting. It is.
0: And my so my question to you, maybe I'm missing an obvious detail here or something, is who shot who? Do we know? Was uh, that something to be revealed?
1: It, it, oh, in this oh, that first yeah, gunshot. This gunshot that we just heard. That's a good question. Yeah, I I, would, I assume it's it's just Blair kind of shooting off a warning shot, like some of these other ones. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I wonder if at some point that shot was meant to actually hit somebody. There's some there's some trivia about the uh, about the gunshots that I, I learned about that that ties in a little bit more with tomorrow's minute. But yeah, that first one I think from a narrative perspective has got to be there. Uh, just to have have something for um for McCready to react to and to run in, but yeah, you have to wonder where that uh where that bullet landed,
0: <laughs> yeah, because for me, let's see, yeah, we see him we see Blair shoot a second warning one as McCready runs in and mm-hmm. joins the gang in the hallway, but I was wondering um. About again, I call him Shades because <laughs> of his glasses, but Windows. He has blood on him, and I was kind of wondering because of what happens to him a little bit later if he'd gotten shot.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, they don't make it really clear exactly how he got injured in the script. There's a line around somewhere around here where um, you know when when McCready's asking what's happening, they're like he's destroying the radio room and he he beat up Windows something good or something like that. But, yeah, I always found it kind of odd that Windows is in that room at all. You know, Blair has obviously lost his mind and is – or maybe not so obviously we'll, we'll talk about. But, uh, you know, he's you know, going to town on this stuff and, you know, Windows, for whatever reason, is just kind of stuck in the corner like he, like he can't get out. It. It's like if he was going to start killing people, he didn't really do that much damage to Windows. But in, if, And if he wasn't, then why did he attack him at all? It always seemed kind of odd that Windows is in there to me.
0: Yeah, it does seem weird. I mean, we know he's in there because when McCready gets the update, that's mentioned, mm-hmm. but why he's still in there, it does seem like maybe he's sort of trapped in that corner. At least that's what they're trying to show us.
1: Yeah. Um and, and being and being Windows, he's acting weird like he kind of always does. It's <laughs> just kind of weird and timid, I guess. So that I guess this fits into his personality that he's kinda of too afraid to even try and get out of the room. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, leading up to that, we get, uh, you know, so MacReady runs in from the helicopter and then we get this really nice um, sequence of shots of uh, MacReady running down the hallway and we're getting closer and closer to the sounds of Blair screaming and, and, you know, starting to wreck up the the radio room and it's a it's a nice series of shots because we get some that are from in front of McCready kind of backing away as he runs towards and then we also get his point of view right so we really get a sense this is I think more than any other scene in the movie this uh, this sequence of shots really gives you a sense of how big the base is and kind of how it's laid out the the guys at outpost 31.com uh we mentioned this um back in the uh minutes 11 through 15 with with Todd Cameron who runs that site that um you know they spent a lot of time dissecting shots from the movie to to build this uh as accurate a map as they could of the base mm. and i i would be willing to bet that that shot is probably one of the key key ones that they were able to figure things out with cuz it it really does kind of if you kind of peek into some of those doorways you can start to get a sense of where some of the some of the rooms are and everything and it it is interesting because it does kind of give you the fact that the geography does for the most part line up exactly right gives you you know it's one of those things that um you know in a lesser movie they probably would have kind of you know fudged that a little bit and and you know faked it so uh but it get, definitely gives you a better sense of geography and and the layout which is which is kind of nice and lets you kind of have a sense of where things are some when when things start to go bad
0: right it makes sense for us as we're watching it it it, it and I don't know, so maybe you can tell me what what was the location of of all this? Where did they shoot it?
1: Yeah, so um, some of this, and I'm not sure about this scene in particular, because interestingly enough, they have the identical sets that they built one on a soundstage in in LA, and um, where I would guess this was probably shot there, and then they had a identical set built in British Columbia in uh, Stewart in what was supposed to be the snow capital of the world. Um, so mm. they, they built it in the summer and then let it get snowed over. So anytime they're in an exterior, most of that, except for some of the opening um, shots with the helicopters, those are in somewhere near Juneau, Alaska. But the rest, the rest of the exterior shots of the base are all in Stewart, British Columbia. And a lot of the shots where they're in the interior, but they're looking out or there's an open doorway where people are coming in and out, that's, that's all shot up in Stewart as well. So they did a really good job of making those two, Bases, uh, you know, look and de- be designed and very, very similarly. Because I could, you know, even knowing that, I I can never tell when they switch from one to the other.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Wow, oh, really good, cool.
1: So, um, yeah, so and uh, uh, that Panaglide glide uh, move through the hallway too reminds me a lot of um uh, of the shining that we brought up yesterday as well. It's definitely reminds me of some of those uh those tracking shots through the hallways of the uh, Overlook Hotel. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think you know, looking at this and thinking about the Shining and Alien mm-hmm. and some of these other movies that are from a similar era is this intimacy, how we get to feel like we're part of it. I'm not a, I, I've never made any films or anything like that, but I, I'm I'm like a casual fan, I guess, and that I don't know all the the lingo and everything, except that I love listening to commentary and and um all that kind of stuff. But it just just as an observer of like what what the similarities are. I think this this natural intimacy that feels really um like you just feel like you're in it with them. It it just adds so much to the the tenseness of it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It's um I I never really put all that together that it really is, you know, between this and Alien and the Shining in particular is three three pretty good examples. There's you know, that's a major thing they have in common is those kind of slow movements um, and even having a lot of those where there are no characters involved, um, where it, it's just a, you know, it's a sense of intimacy and a sense of building the kind of atmosphere too, like not, you know, taking the time to, to build that up without necessarily having every shot necessarily have to move the story forward in some, you know, direct way. But it definitely adds to the tone of the movie in, in a lot of ways. I, I think uh, maybe that was something that was, you know, in the cinematic language at the time, that was something that was either big or something that they were just kind of figuring out and starting to play a lot with. But it is interesting that, you know, Alien, The Shining and this all came out within the span of three years. So to see that all kind of line up in that way with three different directors is pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. It kind of makes me want to watch them all within like the same week or something and just, you know, and, and you probably talked about this or mentioned it in the past, but I'm definitely a huge X-Files fan and, you know, besides their ice episode that, that is a, you know, definitely an homage or riff on, on this similar type of, uh, scenario. Mm -hmm. And, and I find really, you know, enjoyable and funny and crazy and wild, but just the whole, um, environment I think of, of this is, is, is revisited a few times with, uh, you know, uh, aliens or a, a spaceship or something out, you know, out in the snow and um, being in desolate places with these intimate groups has been, you know, put over and over again in, in, in some of my more more favorite episodes of, of The X-Files, too. So it's just something that crossed my mind again while while watching this.
1: Yeah, I we've brought up that Ice episode once or twice, but you know, I didn't I never thought about the fact that there are there are certainly some other parts that are less, you know, Ice is like very clearly meant to be an homage to to this movie and this idea, but yeah, there's definitely some other stuff. I, I was the thing that came to my head when you started talking about X-Files was the um I think in the first movie there's a big isn't there a big scene where they're kind of exploring a a spaceship and it's a it's in an icy location kind of like this too?
0: Yeah, totally. And it's I think it's buried underground too. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. So I'd venture to guess Chris Carter is a pretty big fan of this movie.
0: <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. And and um yeah, and for other people who aren't aware, um there's a really fun X-Files podcast that appears to be on quite a bit of a hiatus, but it's um, by uh, Kumail Nanjiani and it's called The X-Files Files Files, Mm -hmm. and it's really fun and uh, great. Um, They kind of, I think once he got busy with doing um, the big sick movie, you know, the, the, the podcast kind of got put by the wayside, but there's quite a few episodes and he does get several of the writers um, on and has really long, fun conversations about, you know, ice and several of the other episodes. So that would be my podcast uh, recommendation, X-Files Files.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That I started listening to that and I just, you know, got caught caught in the wave of a million other podcasts like like everything else. And I <laughs> ha- haven't had a chance to catch up, but yeah, it's kind of interesting to see that happen where, you know, I think maybe when he started that podcast he wasn't quite as big of a celebrity as he is now. <laughs> you know, now he's been on The X-Files and, you know, he's right. he's got his own, you know, major movie that's doing really well and, and getting a lot of critical praise, so, you know, all all the, all the more power to him, but yeah, we uh I need some more of those x files podcasts <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
0: it's it's fun too because as you're listening to it other things are in development like um You know, during one episode is um, kind of while he's recording it, he finds out through, I think, a text or something that that Silicon Valley has been renewed. And so you get like his reaction to that and everything. And then you slowly get the reveal that he gets to be on an episode of the, the, the reboot. And that was really exciting. So, yeah. It's really yeah, fun.
1: That's so cool to hear that it kind of got revealed that way. I, I I adore that episode that he's in. That's one of my one of my oh, all-time favorites. Too. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> the where Human. <laughs> it's great. So look at looking back at this minute. Yeah, we talked about the panaglide a little bit, you know, that movement through the hallway and then um, uh, McCready gets up to the door and the geography of, you know, we, it's funny, we were just talking about how the geography of the base really makes sense, but this is one that always kind of confused me because the way McCready is looking around that corner makes it look like he's looking into the room where Blair is, but he's really not protected in any way. Like it seems like he should be hiding right. in the other part of the hallway. It always, now that I know it, it, it really bothers me that it like, it seems like he's not, he's just like looking right in the doorway. Like he's. It's a miracle he's he's not getting shot by Blair at some point in this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying.
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's they make it it's kind of confusing. It almost makes me wonder if Kurt Russell maybe was not aware of which direction he was supposed to be looking because he certainly makes it seem like he's wary of the other direction sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: but uh, oh, I did notice one little teeny tiny uh, piece of trivia that I never saw before until I was kind of you know watching through it second by second here. When he first enters that hallway and starts to run up, the doorway at the very end of the hallway says uh MT Gary Station Manager, which is the only hint at maybe. I thought MT might be like a some kind of military acronym or something, but I couldn't find anything, so I'm guessing those are his initials and Gary is his last name. So Oh yeah, that makes sense. So now I'm really curious as to what Gary's first his first and middle name are now, <laughs> MT Gary. <laughs> I just have to call him MT from now on. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I was saying, he seemed uh, like he was not really following along. So maybe he's kind of empty em- empty uh-huh. in the brain <laughs> Empty Gary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's some Cause kind that of makes sense. Because in there. the
0: beginning, I I think you mentioned in the beginning somebody uh, or McCready runs up or, or one of the guys and says George to oh yeah the guy that shot in the leg. But then later on, everybody else is. Usually referred to by their, their last name or by Mac or something like that.
1: Yeah, I kind of love that. I, I, I still, up to this moment, I still think that's the only time that anybody's first name is mentioned in the movie. And it's such a passing thing. It just seems so weird to me that, you know, <laughs> everybody else through the rest of the movie calls him Bennings, but in that one moment, they're like, George, are you okay? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, Empty Gary. So Empty. Yeah, that's what we're going <laughs> to call him for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so as Matt gets right up to the, end of the hallway, um, we get that, that second shot of the minute that we mentioned. And that's one that um, presumably hits somewhere very close to McCready because, uh, and I, I kind of love this, watching it really closely. There's no like, you know, squib, there's nothing, there's no like ricochet that shows actually where the bullet hit. It's all in the magic of filmmaking just to suggest that he's being shot at, which I kind of love. So you you see the shot from Blair's side and then... When we cut back to McCready, the camera move is is already in the process of like moving down really, really quickly. So you only see it for like two frames. Mm-hmm. But it gives this sense of, you know, something really fast just came by. And then McCready does this kind of love. He like shakes out his hair like he's got like a bug in it or something. Right,
0: <laughs> right. And we're, we're like literally seeing, okay, sorry, I'm trying to, I don't have this on like slow-mo or anything. <laughs> we see the shot. From in the room, like mm-hmm. we see him shoot the gun. Yeah. And then while McCready is like just a second later, split second later, I guess it's at, it looks like something else comes in on the left a little bit, like a hand of somebody's. Oh, really? It almost appears as if it's a impl- I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense. Oh, I
1: see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But it looks yeah. like
0: it's almost implying it's the same, you know. Yeah, you're right.
1: Shooting. And- I think it's supposed to be Gary's hand because it does have a gun in it, it looks like. Right. But yeah, you're right. It almost does kind of look like he just took a shot. If you kind of look at it in that way, it does look weird.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if that's something that just, I mean, we wouldn't know. I mean, I guess we would know if somebody said behind the scenes that, but I, you know, if you shot this a different way, that could have been a different scene or a different idea where somebody shot really close to his head right there like that.
1: Yeah, that is kind of funny. I definitely didn't, know, I didn't notice that hand coming through. Yeah. But huh. I just thought it was funny too. This that, the way maybe that's how you react if a bullet gets shot real close to a wall near you that you shake your hair out. <laughs> maybe it's just like an instinctive thing like but yeah I always thought it was like it makes me think like he thought the bullet was like in his hair like, like I don't know what he was trying to do exactly but uh, maybe that's just kind of a natural reaction something you do when something happens right next to your head like that
0: <laughs> totally
1: but it does work to give you the sense that you know through through total movie magic uh, without any kind of special effects you get the sense that he was just shot at even though there's really nothing to suggest that <laughs> So the other thing that I thought was kind of um, kind of funny about, before we get into Blair here, is that uh, this is something that I read about real early when I started doing my research, and I've kind of totally forgotten to bring it up and, and look for it. But Keith David, who plays Childs, had a, I think he was in a mo- either a motorcycle or a car accident right before they started filming. Mm-hmm. And he broke his either his wrist or his hand, his left hand. And so um, throughout most of this movie, he's hiding his left hand. If you oh. look really closely, like you hardly ever see his left side. So in this minute in particular, you can see when he kind of pokes his head out of the doorway, and Mac is telling him to uh, to go check the tractor. He's you, you know he, his entire left arm is hidden. Interesting. And then uh, when he runs back at the end of the minute, we don't really get to see it, but uh, in tomorrow's minute, we'll get to notice a really obvious time that I never saw where you can definitely tell that there's something funny going on with his left hand. (laughs) But yeah, it's just kind of one of those things you can watch the movie, and I've forgotten to kind of look for it up to this point, but you can definitely see that he's kind of hiding it uh, behind his back or in his pocket in a lot of cases to hide that he's got a cast on his hand.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. So I was curious about his role because it seems like McCready always asks him to take an action because he asked for him to get the flamethrower in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then this, he's giving him more directions and instructions. And so I don't really notice like exactly what everybody's job is or their title or their rank or anything like that, but why he's the one that's the guy that McCready goes to to ask to get something done.
1: Yeah, it's it's never really made all that clear. There there are some really subtle things that can tell you what some of these guys do, but mostly it's you, you just have to make some pretty big inferences about it. Um, in the script, it's much more clear, but I guess Carpenter thought that it didn't really, you know, wouldn't necessarily affect the plot one way or the other if you really knew exactly what these guys did. But Childs is supposed to be a mechanic. Gotcha. At the okay. very beginning of the movie, he's like working on the ski dozer when the helicopter comes by it, but really you could say anybody could be doing that it doesn't necessarily mean he's a mechanic but you know according to the script and everything that's what he does so maybe i don't know maybe there's supposed to be a relationship between the two of them because you know if something goes wrong with the helicopter he calls childs to come take care of it but other than that i'm not really sure why there's this kind of there's definitely a kind of a relationship between the two of them you can tell that like you know there's there's some kind of either friendship or or you know boss-employee kind of thing going on, which is kind of interesting given that McCready's just the helicopter pilot. And yeah, by this point in the movie, he's really kind of bossing everybody around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Childs does seem to be the go-to.
0: Yeah, there's definitely an economy here about how much we get to know about everybody, which is, seems to work fine for this movie. Other movies were are really getting to know you know, the disgruntled workers and the person who is, you know, maybe saying like, well, who made you the person running the show? You know, all that kind of stuff, at least up into this moment, there's not too much of that. It's just go, 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 go. And then we kind of see the, um, I forget his name, the guy who's the, appears to have the deepest relationship with the dogs. You know, Mm -hmm. he seems the person just that's pensive or, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of having a hard time with the the dogs dying but beyond that like there's not a lot of um differences in them that we don't need it's just like here's this guy here's this guy here's this guy and let's go
1: yeah there's there's not a whole lot of like like major personality traits that differentiate a lot of these guys which i think maybe is is kind of intentional in terms of where the movie goes and that you know you're having like like we mentioned earlier about you know how everybody kind of looks the same when they're all wearing their big heavy winter gear it's you know i guess maybe it adds to the sense of not knowing who everybody is uh you know literally in that sense is that you can't tell them apart but it uh you know it definitely adds to that later in that when the movie you know gets full paranoid and you're you're wondering who's a who's an alien and who's not and it's, it makes it even trickier when you're not sure who uh, you know, I when watching this movie, you know, just as a as a fan before I started doing the podcast, I um I always had a hard time telling Palmer and Windows apart, um, at times. They're just kinda of, they're both kind of the goofy white guys right. with big hair. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, there's not a whole lot to necessarily differentiate the two of them unless you're watching really closely, but you know, maybe that adds to it in some way. So, uh, before we wrap this one up, uh, we, I'd be remiss if we don't talk at least a little bit about Blair and his crazy ramblings, which, uh, we get a lot more of, uh, tomorrow's <laughs> minute. But, yeah. uh, this is certainly one of the parts of the movie that, um, that, uh, you know, fans of Wolfer Brimley for one reason or another will definitely enjoy. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so we get Blair kind of going full, full crazy here, um, trashing the room and um, and, you know, spouting off stuff, which, you know, if you're not paying close attention, just sounds like he's kind of, you know, you know, spouting off kind of nonsense. But he's he's obviously talking about how what he saw in the computer simulation a couple a uh, couple minutes back about that if it imitates somebody and makes its way to land then it's it could take over everybody and so he's presumably trashing the radio room to keep these guys from ever getting off of antarctica and getting away right which there's definitely some interesting uh theories to talk about we've this uh this episode's running a little longer so maybe we'll we'll talk about it tomorrow but there's definitely some uh some questions about his motives here but i did like that uh in the commentary for the movie john carpenter says that basically, for this scene, they set up two cameras in that radio room, and then uh, to quote John Carpenter, we let Will go to town, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of great.
0: does, <laughs> yes. So,
1: when you think, when most people think about Wilford Brimley, they think about uh Quaker Oats and uh, um, you know, selling diabetes testing supplies and things like that. So, to see him, uh, you know going nuts and, and trashing a, a bunch of equipment with an axe is, is a real treat for a lot of reasons.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I just, it may, I mean, the, the the only thing I really have to comment about it is just, it seems like he, el- he elevated really fast. Like he got that information and then all of a sudden he's like a rambling, you know, maniac. Mm. And he's like, how did he get there so quickly?
1: Yeah. And I guess we haven't seen him for a little while. We've gone like maybe six or seven minutes in the movie without seeing him. And in the course of which we've had several people are going like, where's Blair to remind you that he's not around. So maybe he's, uh, maybe he's been working up to this somewhere off screen. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what, but yeah, it's interesting to think about the timeline of when some of this other, other stuff happened off screen while, while these guys are dealing, dealing with uh, Bennings and all that. But, Obviously, something uh something made him snap or or change uh change his mood a bit between the last time we saw him, where he's just last time we saw him, he's looking at the computer simulation and he he pulls out his gun, but we have you know that's the last time we saw him between now when he's you know gone full maniac like you said, <laughs> <and> <laughs> trashing a room with an axe is quite a uh, quite a leap from that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I said, we've got a an entire minute of uh of Blair going nuts. Tomorrow, so we'll uh, we'll dive a little bit more into his motives and, and everything then. But um, I think that's that's mostly what I had for uh, for this one. Do you have any, anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up?
0: No, I think I'm good.
1: Awesome. So that will wrap up minute fifty three. But uh, make sure to find us in iTunes, and if you haven't already, you can subscribe there. You can obviously, of course, find us on lots of other podcasting platforms like Stitcher and uh, Podcast Addict and, and all those as well. So, um, you know, definitely check us out on whatever floats your boat. But uh, even if you don't use iTunes, you know, it would be awesome if you could go in there and leave us a review. Tell us what you think of the show. Those kind of ratings and reviews definitely make a a big difference in terms of a a podcast getting recognized and and getting more listeners. So uh, even if you don't use iTunes, if you could pop on there and and leave us a review, we'd be very, very grateful. But in the meantime, while you're doing that, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at the Thing Minute and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheThingMinute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at MoviesByMinutes.com. And be sure to head over to StarWarsMinute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out.